and welcome back to a, another episode of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where we take a look at the things that go on in this world through a biblical perspective. Dan Delzell and myself, Son Edom, with you. And, and Dan, we just came through the Easter season, the Resurrection Sunday celebration. Good Friday, Jesus died on the cross. And then on Easter Sunday, he rose again. And he uh, saved us from our sins if we accept him, repent and confess and believe on our heart, we will be saved. And one of the things that, actually a couple things kind of came out. You know, last time we talked about the resurrection and how the body of Jesus became such a kind of critical part of do you believe or don't believe. There's the absence of the body. You know, a lot of people thought that the body might have been stolen away, and that's why Jesus was, quote, resurrected. You know, others obviously believe that Jesus actually, in fact, resurrected and is the Savior. One of the things as I was sitting in church listening to the message that kind of, I'm surprised it hadn't registered in a while for me, um, if ever, is the fact when you talk about, and I mentioned the, um, the Shroud of Turin, you know, the clothing that Jesus was buried in. You know, when they went into the tomb, that clothing was neatly wrapped or folded or rolled, however your interpretation is. And it was set there. So when they walked into the empty tomb, it was a neatly folded, you know, death wrap, basically, that was there waiting for people. And it made me, th- got me thinking that, you know, when a hurry, when a frenzy, you know, you come into a house, maybe that had been robbed and things are overturned, you know, there's drawers jump, uh, dumped out and things are everywhere. And so you thought that that would have been the case if they walked into the tomb, you would have seen a bunch of disarray. But instead, mm-hmm. what you find is this nicely folded material and everything in array, everything in control, which leads me to think that, you know, that's even further evidence that the resurrection is true and that there is no chaos. Because when you're around Jesus, there's no chaos. There's no disarray. Everything is in order. Everything makes sense. And thus, you know, the sanctified reason, you know, thinking things through from a biblical perspective, yeah. uh, biblical perspective gives us that, um, you know, that, that normalcy. We can see things without the chaos. We can see things without the right. disarray. Everything's in control. And then, yeah. and so that kind of, you know, gave me some, some peace and ease to think that, you know what, when talking with people, that's something to, to possibly bring up and talk about. And then you have, you know, tweets going out from the Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock. And his tweet was basically this. The meaning of Easter is transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you're a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. And that's the tweet he posted on um, Easter. And it got a bunch of backlash, you know, from heresy and things like that, claims of heresy and false prophet and stuff like that. Yeah. But the point is, you've got a guy that's a reverend, that's a senator, someone who is supposedly of influence, and he, I guess, is a pastor at the Martin Luther King Church there in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And this coming from the pulpit from a guy who claims to be a Christian, really throws a big wrench into that whole non-chaos. You know, it throws chaos, basically, into that controlled atmosphere, that calm atmosphere yeah. of what Jesus did, not only after yeah. dying on the cross, but when he rose again and took the time to fold the linens and to demonstrate that he is in control yeah. of this, and it's not the chaotic world that's controlling it, but him. And then you have someone like uh, Raphael Warnock throwing this chaos into the midst of all this you know, calmness and victory that Jesus uh, conquered yeah. on Easter Sunday. Yeah, you know, Son, it, it just makes me think about how people tend to behave uh, in a manner consistent with that thing that they are under the influence of. I mean, if a person's under the influence of alcohol, um, they're going to behave differently than if they're sober. Uh, if a person's under the influence of the gospel, they're going to um, they're going they're going to share a different message than the spirit of the world, which obviously he was sharing. Um, you know, it, 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 there's no indication, there's no evidence there from his quote that he is under the influence of the gospel. Because when you come under the influence of the gospel, you don't just talk in flowery language about, you know, the resurrection being transcendent. Uh, you, 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 don't, you don't talk, you certainly don't talk about uh, works as a way to uh, experience forgiveness and, and be forgiven. Um, instead, you, you've come to know that you're saved by grace through faith in Christ. 
And, and, and so, you know, uh, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so his tweet there was a good indication, I'm guessing, of what's in his heart. I mean, I'm guessing he actually believes what he tweeted. I'm guessing he actually believes that, you, that, you know, you have to work your way. But but here's the thing, though, Son. Um, all of us are that way until our spirit is reborn and until we're redeemed, justified, forgiven, saved, and born again through faith in Christ. Um, all of us are, are, are prone to be deceived by the spirit of the world. And by that, I mean a, a works righteous spirit, uh, a, a spirit, uh, a, uh, an ideology, a doctrine that says, you can earn your way into God's acceptance and his forgiveness. You can earn your way into heaven. Um, but the true gospel, uh, the true gospel is much different than that. Um, the true gospel is that man is saved by grace, not, not by works. And, you know, you mentioned, son, uh, interestingly about there, and I, I like that thought about the, um, you know, the burial cloth and, and the cloth folded up there. Uh, but, but it's interesting, John, you know, John was an eyewitness. And, and, uh, and, and John gives us a detail that, that you, you might only expect to get from an eyewitness. You know, um, as, as the story of the resurrection was circulating there in the early days of Christianity, of course, you, you had those direct witnesses, of which there were many uh, direct witnesses of, of Jesus after he rose from the dead. In fact, you know, Corinthians were told about, you know, 500, uh, you know, at one time, and then um, you know, of course, there were, there were, you know, many, many that saw the Lord. But, but one of the things about um, the testimony, uh, particularly with John, who was an eyewitness, he was there at the tomb. Um, you know, Mary of uh, Magdala had gotten there and, and saw that the stone had been removed. And, and then she went running to, to Simon Peter and then to the other disciple, as John writes, the one Jesus loved. I mean, you can talk about that maybe here today. What, what was that all about? So, you know, the one he loved. I thought Jesus loved everyone. Um, but anyway, uh, but then they both, you know, started running. And um, it, it is interesting that in John's eyewitness uh, account, um, you know, he, he says uh, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And, and if you didn't know better, you, you might think, well, you know, that's just kind of well, what we guys do. You know, we're very competitive. John wanted, you know, John wanted people to know that, um, that, that he, he beat Peter to the tomb, but when actually, I mean, John was a, was a young man. Peter was older. It was natural that, that the younger man would have, would have outrun the older, uh, apostle. But, but it, it's interesting that those are the kind of details that, that eyewitnesses, uh, direct eyewitnesses will, will, will put in there. And, um, and you know, it's just such a phenomenal event. There's nothing like the resurrection. In fact, you know, one thing I mentioned in my message on Sunday here on Easter Sunday, Son, is, is that, you know, it really, um, it really takes more faith to deny the resurrection than it does to believe in the resurrection, uh, because there's no other way to explain how these dejected, discouraged apostles would have gone from uh, being um, in despair over Jesus' death to now willing to go out and, 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 and not just willing, but determined to go out and share this message with the world. Um, and I'll tell you what, son, you know, um, uh, a great, a great quote on, uh, on just that, uh, comes from, uh, Charles Colson, Chuck Colson, who, um, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, he was special counsel to president, uh, Richard Nixon. He was one of the Watergate seven, um, spent time in prison. In fact, seven months he spent in prison. He became a Christian in 73, 1973. And then, um, and then found in 1976, Chuck Colson wrote a book called Born Again, uh, which millions of copies were sold. But, um, but Chuck Colson had a, a great quote. Oh, and by the way, um, I was just reading here in the last day or so, Prison Fellowship, which, which Chuck Colson founded, um, that is like one of the most six well-respected you know, like nonprofit groups. Uh, I mean, they're so strong. They, they, they've reached so many prisoners, you know, for Christ. But, but Chuck Paulson went from being, you know, uh, Nixon's hatchet man to being, you know, a, a humble servant of the Lord. But here's the quote uh, Son, that, that uh, Colson had on the resurrection. And it's, it is beautiful. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact. And then he says, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. 
They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. And, and, and so, Simon, what I mentioned Sunday is that, you know, it does take more faith to deny the resurrection than to believe in it, because there's no other possible explanation for how these apostles could have become such bold witnesses who were willing, as Colson says, to be beaten, stoned, tortured, imprisoned, um, and, and, and a good number of them even being martyred for uh, the faith. How? Why? Because they saw the risen Lord. And, and, and just to bring this full circle, the quote you mentioned um, from, that, uh, from that congressman, our senator, um, that quote simply indicates that he needs to see the Lord. Not the, not the world's most popular religion, which is works righteousness, which he promoted in his tweet. Um, he needs to see the Lord. He needs to accept the gospel. And when he does that, son, if he does that, he'll stop tweeting about, you know, the world's most popular religion. And, and maybe he'll even start tweeting about, you know, what Jesus has done for us. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's a great, I, I love that, uh, story you you bring up uh in the news today because there's so many things that that we can discuss about it that help help strengthen our grasp on the gospel and here's the danger dan so there was a updated article where he took down deleted the the tweet but the backlash continued to grow because there were a lot of people calling him a heretic a lot of them quoting which scripture you know would debunk what he tweeted. And again, the tweet yeah. from uh, Raphael Warnock, the senator from Georgia, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you're a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. And so, again, of course, it enters the uh, political arena because he is a senator. And I guess one of uh, President Trump's attorneys or former attorneys uh, weighed in, basically calling him a heretic, and then said that uh, he should also delete the reverend in front of his name too, and um, you know refer to false gospel and heresy. Well, then you know Joy Reid from MSNBC, the host. This was her response to Ellis's tweet, which I guess was an attorney for President Trump. So that's the political connection. But this is the scary part. Okay, Joy Reid says this lady is literally calling the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's church, a heretic, Reed wrote. This actually happened today. Madam, I'm going to take at Reverend Warnick's take as a pastor and a scholar on the word over yours, if you don't mind. Yeah. And see, and that's yeah. the scary part because you've got people take, you know, just take it and generalize. Now let's generalize right. it. Um, right. You've got people that are going to believe a false anti-biblical tweet just based yeah. on the fact that he is a reverend that he is perceived as a pastor and a scholar of the word. And that's where the danger comes in because if all we're doing is taking things at what someone says, like you and I, you know, I would hope that people go and fact check us with the Bible, not with anybody else, but with the Bible um, on the stuff we say. And I think, you know, 99% of the time, what we say is going to be biblically accurate. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, if not a hundred percent of the time, but you know, I don't want to, I don't want to throw that perfection out there, but you know, Mm -hmm. we're going to, we really rely on, on, on the Bible and biblical scripture as we share things, as we talk about things, that's the biblical perspective as we talk about things of this world. But people out there are going to look at someone like him or any pastor or any person, you know, you think of all the other people that are out there, like the Beth Moores of this world and some other people, and right. they'll just buy into anything they say without checking what they have to say as to whether or not it's true to the Bible and just start believing yeah. it and start accepting it. And here's a point, yeah. if I can. I've told this story many times. When I worked with the Frank sure. Sontag show, which is a Christian talk show where you and I actually met, we did yeah. a phone conversation where we would have uh, a topic that – callers the general public could call in listeners and give us their thoughts on things and we threw out the verse you know where it says uh i am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but by me meaning that jesus is the only way to the father yeah and then by through that acceptance through jesus and believing that he's the savior it's the only way to heaven right and so we had a lot of people I mean, it was more than I would have ever found them call up and say they've been to church their entire life. They mm-hmm. memorize the entire Bible, you know, in English, Greek, and Hebrew. Um, they go to church every Sunday, 
you know, and they throw out all their credentials, but then they say, no, there's other ways to get to heaven. No, Jesus isn't the only way. Like Reverend Warnock, you know, we can save ourselves. And it was shocking to believe that these people actually called them. They believed it. Like they wholeheartedly believed that they were Christians. They were going to heaven and all this, but yet there was other ways to get to heaven and Jesus wasn't the only way. And that's the scary thing of this whole topic that we're talking about is people will just automatically leech to what somebody says just because they're perceived as a pastor, a scholar, maybe they have reverend in their name or whatever, and they won't go do any fact-checking themselves with the Bible. And even if they do, they still don't want to believe because they'd rather follow what someone says rather than what the Bible says. Well, that, that's exactly right, son. And, you know, um, that is man's nature. You know, man's nature is to assume that... Um, he has to he has to impress God and 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 prove himself and earn uh, whatever God uh, might be willing to give him. And if something is as great as heaven is in the mix, then he certainly is going to have to work uh, doubly hard for that. I mean, that is man's nature. And, and and so what we find in Scripture is that the man without the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, um, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And, and, and what I find in my own life, Son, and in the lives of, of Christians um, now over decades of, of doing what you and I have been doing for decades in our own you know, Christian walk and, and ministry and so forth, um, what I find over and over again is, is, is that we Christians— we we often are as surprised that people don't get this simple message as as, as people who are unbelievers as, as they are surprised that that we would you know believe such a thing or, or they they think they know what we believe. I mean, you know, I think there are a lot of unbelievers who assume um, that maybe Christians believe like what what Warnock has tweeted there, that, but but. But, but when you don't know the gospel, you know, um, when you don't know the gospel, you don't even really know what Christians, um, you know, what they, what they believe. This is why many times when I, you know, talk to say, you know, Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses and every one of them have seemed very devout. But when I share the gospel with them and, and then I ask them the question, you know, if you were to stand before God at the gate of heaven and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Um, and then, and then in the course of that discussion, when I, when I ask them, I say, you know, before I tell them what I would say, I say, um, what do you think I might say? I mean, I know we've just met here and, and so forth, but you know a little bit about me, but what do you think I might say? And, and they have no clue, you know, what I would say. Because um, unbelievers, you know, generally have no clue about the gospel. I mean, there are some unbelievers who I think have a, a decent grasp on on. The, the, the message of grace, but they just have not accepted it themselves. They haven't believed it. But I think a majority of unbelievers, they're not even that far down the, the, the path toward uh, what I would call enlightenment, real enlightenment, spiritual enlightenment, which I, I'm simply just referring to um, being, as Chuck Colson said, born again. Um, they're not even that far down the path. They don't even know what Christians believe to be able to reject it. Uh, they, they assume that it's works-based. Uh, for your salvation. And sadly, as you're pointing out in some of those examples, Son, sadly, um, there are many people, uh, even in, you know, Christian religious groups, be it Protestant or Catholic, um, many, many people in, in, in that category who, um, you know, they, they, they don't know the gospel. They don't believe the gospel. Um, you know, they, they, they just, it's never, it, the light bulb has never gone on. Um, and, and so, yes, uh, it is, it is uh, a scary thing to think about what, what, you know, what some of these individuals and influential people are saying and what they're tweeting. Um, but, but at the same time, um, you know, we see it happening over and over and over again, because that is the spirit of the world. Uh, it, it's a message that, that you have to earn your way into God's acceptance. And it's just, it's just the opposite of the gospel. You know, Dan, someone might look at this and be like, okay, so maybe he misinterpreted Scripture, which as a pastor is probably really problematic to begin with, but anyways. But then you do some further reading, and like in the articles that have come since he tweeted, you know, he called Jesus a poor Palestinian prophet, 
and made some other references. So I think there's more to him specifically when it comes to, you know, his misinterpretation of Scripture in the Bible. But when it comes to that idea, okay, where you have a pastor, you have someone who, according to, you know, Joy Reid is a scholar and a reverend, and, you know, we should take him on his word over other people. At what point then do we, okay, so, you know, you're a pastor, and, and for me, if I'm going to sit under a pastor or listen to somebody, they pretty much have to have a zero, I have a zero tolerance with false religion. If there's something that they say that's wrong, that's anti-Bible, I'm usually out right away. I may call for some clarification just to confirm that I didn't misunderstand or misrepresent right. or hear. But otherwise, I mean, I have zero tolerance. If, if you're saying something that's remotely uh, full of heresy, or heret- yeah. uh, I'm out. Uh, I don't. I don't yeah. give second chances, and that's just me personally. People say I'm too. I'm too uh, uh, dogmatic that way. Others say I need to be a little bit more lenient. But you know what? With my spiritual life, I, I'm, I'm not perfect, and I don't lead that perfect life. But that's just my expectation. If someone's going to say something, if you're going to be a pastor over me, and you're going to say things, and you want me to listen to you, you better be right on with what I believe and what the Bible says. More importantly than what I believe, otherwise, I'm out. I'm just gone. And I usually don't come back. So with that right. being said, uh, someone like, let's just say, he just happened to quote this thing out there. Okay, no other history of anything. Where is it that sh- as Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, where is it that we should draw that line when it comes to people that are scholars of the Bible, people that have reverend in front of their name, people who are at the pulpit preaching, uh, where should we draw the line when it comes to inerrancies? Is it something that we should obviously call out and, and, and find out what they actually mean? Because I've done that several times, and there's several churches I've left because of it, because I didn't get the answer that I thought was uh, worthy of the question. But then there's right. other times where I'm like, okay, I just misunderstood what you said, and then we have a, you know, those, it wasn't clarified. Uh, and, you know, upon clarification, I understood, so you know, stay at the church type of thing. But where should we be as Christians in this day and age when it comes to this type of thing? If you hear something that is completely as this, blatant against Scripture, and then leaving yeah. the church and you know going someplace else and you know not following what they have to say anymore and stuff like that. Yeah, no, good, good question, Son. And 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 I think you know you you have you have shown. Um, wisdom there in, in the way you have approached that. I mean, if, if you find, you know, either questionable doctrine or false doctrine in the church and, and they can't even seem to give you an answer for it, then um, I think it's wise to do what you, what you did there, son. And that is to, to go to a place where, you know, the whole counsel of God is going to be preached, but, but, but that you can ask questions and you can, you can challenge things. If you think maybe that something is, is not biblical or if you have questions about it. So I, I mean, we all as Christians need to be like um, the Bereans there in the book of Acts, where, where we don't just take a Christian leader's word for it because, you know, because it's being said by a Christian leader, but rather um, we search the scriptures uh, to see, in that case, they, they search the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. So if they're going to search the scriptures and not just take the Apostle Paul's word for it, which was right for them to do, well, then uh, people um, sure better do that today with, with, with uh, any of us who are going to be preaching or teaching uh, the Word of God. So I think, I think it begins there in our own uh, home congregations, wherever, you know, Christians are, are, um, are serving the Lord in a, in, a, in a local congregation, and we're all called to be part of a—all Christians are called to be part of a, a local congregation, you know, if at all possible. I mean, you know, and some situations are very um, unique, uh, maybe, with that. But, um, but then as far as others, like, like this tweet, you know, with— uh, with Warnock and so forth, um, uh, we don't necessarily have as high of a responsibility to seek out or, or or respond to every one of those that we hear. But on the other hand, um, many Christians, you and I included, find that these talking points of of well-known people provide a uh, an avenue then to to go and and to um, and to discuss. Uh, you know, to, to, to discuss what they're saying. I mean, they're, they're, they're public figures and, and, and they're putting this out. So we have every right to address it. Um, and, and, and I think it, it's, it's fair game. Um, and, and I think as you've done here today with Warnock, I mean, this has been no way judging him as a person or, or, or claiming that we know, um, everything about his heart. Uh, but, but, but what we, what we can do 
is we can say, well, if that's the extent of what he believes, I mean, that statement right there is it's antithetical to the gospel. So if he truly believes that, then it would, it, whether it's him saying it or anybody, um, that's antithetical to the gospel. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not possible to hold to what he seems he's holding to and still claim to be a Christian. That's not um, looking down on him. To, to judge him would be to look down on him and say, well, he's a bigger sinner than, than any of us or whatever. Um, we are, as Christians, called to, um, to, to present true doctrine and, and, and in many instances to call out false doctrine. Now, there'll be many, many examples of false doctrine that we won't be led to address just because it happened to be in the news because maybe we won't have a, a place where we're, we're really uh, being led to address it. I mean, you know, the, the, the church is where the Lord has given folks like you and I and Christians in general the responsibility to just see to it that correct doctrine is being presented. Once you get outside of the Christian church, um, you know, that's the realm of the world. And, you know, it's like somebody has said, you know, we, we, we shouldn't um, really expect unbelievers to behave like believers until they become believers. So it shouldn't surprise us if an unbeliever is behaving the way that the Bible says unbelievers behave. Um, the same thing can be said of what unbelievers believe. You know, it shouldn't surprise us if unbelievers are accepting things that we know are false uh, because they're not yet believers and they're not yet, they don't yet have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Uh, but just to try to answer your question, though, I mean, I think I think virtually all of it's fair game in terms of addressing. We have a higher responsibility with doctrines being presented in the church, but we have the opportunity to do exactly what you're doing here on this podcast, on with, with a, a very public quote, and that is to say, let, let's examine this, you know, from Scripture. Let, let's see if it has any biblical merit or not. But I think it's always wise, especially in this day and age, to probably say, as you and I often do, um, we're, we're not judging the man. We're not saying we're better than him or anything like that, or that it's impossible for him to, to be saved or anything like that, or that, that, that he's a bigger sinner than us. What we are doing is we are addressing the doctrine that he seems to claim to be true. And, and we're calling it out, and we're saying, according to the creator of the universe, that is false doctrine. And, and I know we live in a day where you're really not supposed to do that, but you know who says you're not supposed to do that? The world says that. You know, um, God never said, oh, don't bring that up. You know, you might offend somebody if you bring that up. You know, so, but, but you know, certainly we want to be as, um, as, as tactful as we can be. Uh, we don't want to, you know, look to pick a fight with anybody Well, we want to look to op- uh, for opportunities to clarify the gospel and, and to do so humbly, you know, uh, as, as, as you and I seek to do, you know, and, and many Christians seek to do that. And, and so I hope maybe that maybe addressed a little bit your question about, you know, Hey, where, where do we, where, where are we supposed to draw the line on this? You know, you know, one of the things that came up in the uh, article, a couple of articles, in fact, that have been written about this since he tweeted it, is the seminary. Apparently the seminary is that he went to is one that might be uh, called into question as to some of the things that they're teaching. I guess it was at one time uh, a part of the Presbyterian church, and then the Presbyterian church had some issues with some of the things, and so they kind of split, had a split with them. And it's a Union Theological Seminary, I guess, is where he where he went, which is kind of ironic because... Dietrich Bonhoeffer at one point was at this Union Theological Seminary, and one article talking about this kind of brought in Dietrich Bonhoeffer as one of the mm-hmm. school's more famous alumni, and it went on that, you know, Bonhoeffer quotes the article, Bonhoeffer remembered that students openly laughed at a lecture on sin and forgiveness and accused the seminary of having forgotten what Christian theology in its very essence stands for. Disillusioned, he decided to return to Germany to resist the Nazi regime, and then he was later executed. So it leads me to believe that if here's a guy that thought dealing with the Nazis was better than having to, <laughs> right. you know, deal with the seminary students, it kind of wow, wow. brings yes. into question the seminary. But here's my further yes. question. Yes. We have to have a, a grounding in the Bible. I've talked with many pastors here in Los Angeles. Some have gone to seminary. Others haven't. People that have gone to seminary swear by it. You should go and you should learn the doctrination of, you know, Mm -hmm. because to me, if you go to seminary, depending on the seminary you go to, you're going to learn that that doctrine. And here's what I mean. If you go to a Baptist 
seminary, you're going to learn that adult baptism is the way to go. If you go to a Lutheran seminary, you're going to learn that infant baptism is okay. So there's two, right. there's two opposing things when it comes to baptism, and that's a story for another time, but that's the, sure. the, the, the seminary's belief. Then there's others yeah. that say, I'm not, I didn't go to seminary, I just read the Bible, because seminary, you just learn what they teach you in seminary, and you don't learn the Bible, if that makes sense. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, oh, it's it like, makes total sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you have this round and round and round going of what qualifies someone to be a pastor at a church and to be yeah. the authoritative word, because when we do go to scripture, we do have to have someone that is authoritative on some of the things that we want to, especially the, the, the deeper concepts that, of, that the Bible might have, because as we grow as Christians, we want more and right. more and more. But so where, what is that when it comes to the theology of seminaries? And one of the reasons why I like the Lutheran church a lot, uh, and they're Martin, in fact, Martin Luther, his, I don't want to say his theology, but the way he presented the Bible is because it's very ingrained in scripture. Everything goes yeah. back to scripture. Everything goes back to scripture. And I hear a lot of people in a lot of churches sit there and say, you know, I have a word from the Lord. I had a vision from the Lord or, you know, God told me to tell you this. And it's a lot of third person, you know, type of God telling you to tell me something. Instead, yeah. I can just go to scripture. So my point is like, you know, how do we start to really get into the fact that as a believer, as someone yeah. who wants to maybe ask questions, you know, I'm fortunate I get to talk with you every week. And so I get to, you know, tap into the wisdom and knowledge that you've had over the years. But how is it that someone can learn to really trust somebody who might be growing, especially young Christians, new Christians, obviously have all kinds of questions to ask over things. How is it that we get to the point where can we determine and find out for ourselves, you know, kind of because there are going to be people that want to grow, go to a Baptist church or they want to go to a Lutheran church or they want to go to a non-denominational church. But then how do you know that that pastor is someone who is going to be preaching scripture? You know, it's, it's kind of, we're kind of hard. It's kind of difficult in this world because we've gotten to the point where there really is no foundation anymore. It's people just kind of making things up as they go. And if we look for credentials, if I go to a doctor, I want my doctor to be credentialed in the area that yeah. he's going to make me better in. I don't want him yeah. to just come yeah. off the streets with a scalpel and say, right. I'm going to fix you. Exactly. So, well, and, and we know, Son, I mean, there are people getting, you know, uh, their ordination online by just going through, jumping through a couple of simple hoops and really no, no training at all, you know, and, and, uh, uh, I don't mean to interrupt you there. I just want to, yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, yeah, but that's true. I whatever. mean, but but that's where we're at. And so and so, how can we as Christians that really want to study somebody, really want to learn? You know, we go to the church, we have our groups, but then we want to really learn more. You know, like you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You know, a lot of people have referred to him in a lot of things, and there's other people out there too. But how do we really know? And how can we learn? And what maybe what are some you know maybe yeah. from your perspective some guidelines that yeah. we can look for, yeah. knowing that yeah. we're being Obviously, the Bible's one, but again, we can be fooled. There's times where people are so sudden, Satan is so subtle in that disinformation that something is that, you know, uh, Warnock tweets, Jory yeah. Reed's going to believe just because who he is. Yeah. 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 No, great, great thoughts and great questions, son. You know, um, a couple of things at least, you know, come to mind uh, on that. You know, uh, going back again to the Bereans for a second, um, you know, in, in Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 10 and following, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Uh, many of the Jews believed, as did a prominent number of Greek women and many Greek men. So I, I think one place we can begin on this is, is we can say, Wherever a person finds himself or herself, whatever um, church, let's say, that you're in, uh, where there's preaching and teaching going on, um, regardless of the credentials or lack of credentials of, of the person, let's say, who's preaching, um, we all have a responsibility as Christians to, to do what the Bereans did, and they, they, they had noble character because they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the Scripture the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So we always have that going, uh, that need there, son, regardless of whether somebody's been to seminary or not, or, or who it is, you know, uh, if we find ourselves in a church, um, or maybe you're watching a message on television or on the internet, um, don't just assume that because of their title, 
uh, that what they're saying is true compared to scripture. Now, now to the issue of, um, you know, who really, um, who really should even be doing that to begin with, and as far as, you know, teaching or preaching like that, um, I think about uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God. But then a few verses later, it says, No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. Um, now, now that's uh, such an important verse there, son, because what it points out is that if a person is going to serve in, in the role of a spiritual leader, a preacher, a teacher, you know, minister, um, or maybe a teaching pastor or something like this, um, it's critical that you be called by God. Now, now God does, you know, extend his call many times to an individual, you know, through the call of a congregation, obviously. That, that's part of the way God often does that, to have somebody land then in a particular congregation. So there's this, this process that churches go through when they're calling, um, when they're calling a pastor, uh, when they're bringing on a, a new pastor. Um, but, but prior to that, there needs to be what, what many have called this inner call, where, where a man in his heart feels called by the Lord. I mean, I know in my own personal experience, Son, you know, when I was in, in college here in Nebraska, uh, I was in the business program for the first three years. And then I worked on a summer ministry program um, here in, uh, in Omaha, uh, there in North Omaha, the Logan Fontenelle Housing Projects. And, and we were working there uh, during the summer. And it was really over that time and leading up to that time, but especially that summer, I began to sense God calling me to preach. Now, I had been teaching Bible studies in the dorms at college and, and, and you know, doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one witnessing to people at college and, and in other places. Um, but I never thought about becoming a preacher. I never had felt called to do that. But there was this strong inner call in my heart to preach the Word. And, and at first I thought, well, I mean, hey, I, I can't see myself getting up in front of a larger group. I mean, I can lead a Bible study in a dorm with, you know, 10 or 12 people, but that, nah, not, not preaching in front of maybe, you know, larger sized groups. But that inner call continued. And then um, rather, rather quickly, then I, you know, I began to um, warm up to that and then, you know, accepted that call from the Lord. And then, and then once, and not everybody, everybody's going to have a, a little different story uh, in terms of, how, you know, they, they felt the Lord calling them to serve as a, as a pastor. It won't all be like that. Uh, although I will say, Son, um, there are, you know, some just amazing Christians over the centuries who have said that, um, you know, basically in, when it comes to preaching the Word, you know, uh, preaching the Word, if you can do anything else but that, you probably should. In other words, um, don't just become a preacher like you, 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 you might become, um, you know, uh, uh, and take any profession, you know, a, a teacher or a contract worker, or a, you know, a construction worker, or, or like, like you might become, um, you know, a lawyer. I mean, only preach if, if you, you can't have peace doing anything else. And I know for me, that was certainly my experience. Um, there would have been no peace. And that was, you know, well, I mean, I, I began to sense that call in 85. So, um, and really it became very clear to me in the summer of 85. So that was what, 15, 21, 36 years ago. Um, and, and that, inner call has never um, diminished or gone away. But at the same time, then, the Lord then will open up doors for those who feel called to be a pastor, be a, uh, a preacher, be a shepherd, be a, you know, um, uh, a, a spiritual uh, worker for the Lord, you know, as a minister. Uh, so there, there needs to be this this inner sense. Um, and, 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 you know, I'm sure there are many pastors who would say, well, you know, there were people that were talking to me about this in my younger years, and I really began to just sense that, yes, you know, God did want me to do that. So, I mean, everybody's experience there is going to be different. But, but I, I go back to this verse, though, in Hebrews, and, and, and this is, is so critical. Uh, that No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So, um, so yeah, so that, that, and then, but then to go to your question, I mean, how do we know? I mean, it's a Baptist church, a Lutheran church. Well, um, all of us are called to, to study the Word. And, and understand the word and, and, and then to be able to discern from scripture um, whether the particular church that we're considering being a part of, whether they're being faithful to scripture. And that's what, you know, we may have to ask a lot of questions, do a lot of self-study, um, you know, evaluating. And, you know, for, for others, you know, uh, it'll be like myself, I mean, growing up in a Christian family and, and, and being blessed to be in a, 
in a in a church denomination that was faithful to scripture. Um, I mean, there you know, then things just kind of um, you know developed out of that for me and in, in in the particular denomination. But um, you know, it's that way. I think with many many Baptist pastors or Methodist pastors or Presbyterian pastors or Pentecostal pastors. I mean, many of them have some experience in that church um, growing up, maybe in that in a family, or maybe they they came to that experience later. Or, you know, maybe they became a Christian later in life, and then as they, as they researched and studied and prayed and sought the Lord through Scripture and prayer, um, they, they felt the Lord calling them to serve in one of these denominations I just mentioned, or, or, or in a non-denominational church, as, as many do. So, um, yeah, it, it varies from person to person, but being called by God, not, not, we don't need any self-appointed uh, ministers, uh, self-appointed preachers. I mean, I mean, if God calls you to do it, I mean, do it with all of your heart, but, but um, we don't need somebody deciding uh, to do it on their own. Uh, the Bible doesn't doesn't guide us in that direction. Because my experience has been, I've been to several churches of different denominations throughout my life, and you know, there are some churches take communion, for example, where I've gone, and we have communion every Sunday. There's others yeah. where you have it once a month, and then there's others you have it twice a year. You know, right? Um, so again, that's not a deal breaker because you know, me and the maturity of my faith. I can understand, right. you know, that there's more to the significance of communion than when you take it, you yeah. know. Uh, yeah. But but yeah. but some of those things do matter because they're, because it's almost like this, Dan. We've gotten to the point in society where anything is acceptable. You know, you look at the pulpit yeah. and the Bible specifically, whether you agree or not. Okay, yeah. the Bible specifically speaks out against homosexuality. You can believe yeah. it, you don't or not. I don't care. That's not the point I'm trying right. to make. The Bible speaks out against it. The Bible yeah. speaks out against things. And yet people, such as maybe in some of the church denominations, will accept gay pastors at right. the pulpit. Okay, you can't right. be preaching the Bible right. if you're living in contrast to it. And, I, and, I, and what I mean by that is flaunting it. Okay, if yeah, you're, yeah. if you, the Bible has yeah. the Ten Commandments and, you know, Jesus talks about, and the Bible talks about, you know, how we should live. Don't lie, don't cheat, right. don't steal, you know, and, and we still do that. Right. We lie, we cheat, we steal. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the lifestyle of sin. If we're flaunting a lifestyle of sin, how can then we be at the pulpit preaching something that is against the very thing that we are living? Right. Okay. We all, no, nobody's perfect. We all sin. And so that's what I'm getting at is that you have, you have, denominations you have pastors at the pulpit that are actively living something and promoting yeah. something and act being an yeah. activist for a lifestyle for example that is clearly yeah. anti-biblical and it seems like yeah. we've gotten to this day and age where you know okay let's take it out of the controversial homosexual or the gay lgbt yeah. thing what about just the yeah. love of money all these pastors on tv that are you know name it and claim it mark it and park it you yeah. give me a hundred dollars god will give you ten thousand you know all that the greed yeah, yeah. okay yeah. again you yeah. got to call that into question because what's their motivation they're not preaching salvation they're not preaching the resurrection mm -hmm. they're preaching mm -hmm. money the love of money exactly and so we've yep. gotten you know and even even going to church services you know there's church services where um it's almost like going to a rock concert you know, you've got the band, right. you've got the lights, you've got the laser show, you've got the fog and all that stuff going on. And, you know, I guess right. if that's what you want to do, that's your, you know, prerogative. Right, right. People like that. People enjoy that. But it's like in society, in the Western church, it's gotten to the point where just about anything can go. You know, you have things yeah. like holy yeah. laughter that have come through, like fads that have come through and, right. and anything. And there's no checks and balance to what we're doing. And I know some very right. solid Christians, or at least they've claimed to be solid Christians, that get swooped up in these fads because there's no checks yeah. and balance. We stop bringing the Bible and we put it up on the big screen. Uh, yeah. and, and the big yeah. screen has, you know, different denominations as far as the uh, editions of the Bible. You, know, you can have the King James, you can have the NIV, you can have the message, you can have all these different things. And there's no real checks and balance anymore. And so that's, I think, part of the problem that we're seeing in America, especially with the churches, is you have someone like uh, Raphael Warnock who will tweet something that is in direct contrast with the Bible. And someone like a Joy Reid will say, you know what, I'm going to believe him because he's the scholar. He's the, 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 right. the reverend in front of his name. Just because he has a credential, I'm going to believe him. And they're not right. going to question what he says because of that. Yeah. No, I, I think that goes on a lot, Son. And, you know, regarding kind of the, the, uh, the essentials of, of, let's say, a worship service, you know, I, I love the fact that, Acts 2.42, 
tells us that in the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So the four things it says they were devoted to were this preaching and teaching, um, the fellowship, being with one another, encouraging one another, uh, you know, helping one another, assisting one another, um, uh, the breaking of bread, um, referring mainly um, to the Lord's Supper there, although it, it could certainly also uh, be a reference to, uh, in addition to the Lord's Supper, the, the, the fellowship meals or what they called the agape feast that they would have in the early church um, in conjunction with the celebration of the Lord's Supper. But, but certainly the Lord's Supper was um, would be one of those big four. And, and, and all you have to do to see that is look at how the early church practiced, you know, communion every Sunday. Uh, now, I think there are some churches today where, you know, I mean, maybe somebody grew up doing that and it just felt like getting a check in the box, and that's very unfortunate. Um, but, but I think it's not only on communion that some people have, have gotten a check in the box, just going to church. Uh, people have just kind of done that to get a check in the box or, 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 or going through the motions. So anything can become a check in the box. It, it all depends on how valuable it is to the church, to the leadership of the church, to the, the, the Christians in the church. Uh, you know, the, the fourth item is prayer. So I like to call those the big four, the apostles' teaching, the, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Um, and, and, you know, one, one way that I, I've described the Lord's Supper, um, uh, even though like, like when I was, when I was uh, you know, growing up, uh, you know, in, in our church, uh, we, would have, we would celebrate the Lord's Supper a couple of times a month. Um, that, is, that, that was pretty consistent among many churches and the denomination that I was in. Um, I will say, though, in recent years, uh, going back now a number of years, um, I have, uh, you know, I, I presented the, the idea a number of years ago to, to folks in the church about, hey, what if we tried celebrating the Lord's Supper every Sunday um, just because of the, 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 the power that, that there is when we celebrate this meal? And I, I guess for me, what, you know, the, the thing I started to notice on, you know, I, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, I started to notice it seemed to me like in those, in those worship services where, you know, after the preaching and the message and, and, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit was really working through the Word, and then we, we kind of culminated things in a way with, with the celebration of the Lord's Supper, it just seemed to me like there was a tremendous amount of power that God was providing through that, and, and that we were almost maybe missing something um, by, by not, you know, may, maybe completing that. Uh, and, and again, that's not to put some legalistic um, requirement upon anybody who celebrates the Lord's Supper less frequently than that. Well, what it boils down to is this, son. Uh, you know, and, and what I what I refer to it is, is is like a like a, a, a basketball team. Okay, um, you know, if you're the coach, or you're you know, coaches, you know, you decide who's going to be first string and who's going to be you know second string or third string. And so with churches, um, congregations, the people, the believers in the church, and the, along with the leadership, they all together get to decide. You know, um, you know, how often are we going to celebrate the Lord's Supper as a congregation? Uh, I mean, let, let, let's say that, you know, you have a pastor who's very strong about not doing it very often or doing it very often. I mean, and let's say you've got people who don't really like that. Well, maybe that pastor, you know, moves on or whatever. Maybe while he's still there, you know, you, you get together, you say, hey, um, you know, let, let's really talk about this. Let's see what, where we're comfortable on this. What, I, what I'm getting at is um, you get to decide uh, what's going to be first string. So what I have found, Son, and I know like in my own heart, if because I started to view the Lord's Supper not as a second string player that, that got in every other game or whatever, but rather as a first string player because of, of what that meal represents, what that meal does to strengthen the faith of believers, what what you know what the Lord said about that meal. Because in my own heart, I started to value it even more than maybe I had growing up, where you know it was just you know every other week. Um, um, and like you said, some churches do it quarterly, some churches do it weekly. Um, and and it's, it's not like there's, well, there's a right way and a wrong way, but I will say this. Every church really gets to, they, they basically tell you whether they feel the Lord's Supper is a first-string player. Because um, how many churches have a worship service without singing? Well, worship then, the, the songs tend to be a first-string player. How many churches have a worship service uh, without some prayer? Well, then prayer is kind of a first-string player. How many churches ever have a worship service without a sermon? Um, well, you kind of elevate the sermon then to, a first, to the first string. Um, how many churches have a worship service without the Lord's Supper? Well, that kind of reveals whether the Lord's Supper is first string, second string, third string on the team. Um, now, again, I, I want to be careful when I say that not to suggest that the churches are sinning if they, if they feel led to have the Lord's Supper, you know, 
less frequently, okay? Uh, any more than churches are spinning by having it every week, okay? Uh, it, it's not a legalistic requirement that, that we have to look at, like, well, we got a check in the box, now we did it the right way. Instead, it's a, it's a love fest. It's a memorial meal. It, it's Christ meeting with us um, and, and being there with us to strengthen our faith, uh, just as he's present in us. Um, you know, one thing I found interesting, I mean, I grew up in a denomination that, that, that talked a lot about, you know, the Lord's real presence in the Lord's Supper. And the more I studied that issue at seminary, the more I came to just the absolute conviction based on Scripture is, well, yes, but wait a minute. What about the Lord's real presence 24-7? Uh, what about the Lord who lives in us 24-7? Isn't that just as important as, as, as the Lord being present with us in the Lord's Supper? And it seemed like it seemed like the Lord's Supper, the real presence of the Lord in the Lord's Supper was talked about a lot. Um, but, um, but maybe not, not the other. I'll give you an extreme example of not the other, okay? Um, and this ties in with our discussion on the seminary today. Of course, I'm not going to mention the name, but there was a seminary professor I'll never forget. Uh, as, as students tend to remember things about certain professors, you know, um, just like people do with pastors. But um, I'll never forget how this seminary professor, son, he made a point, And this will tell you a lot about just kind of his own approach to spiritual life. He made a very distinct point of letting every student in his class know um, how much he disliked the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Because apparently that was too warm and fuzzy for him, you know, and, and he just wanted to stick to, you know, the objective reality of things like, you know, the Lord's Supper, you know, and, and, and baptism. And, but what a friend we have in Jesus kind of starts to move us into what, what he might have felt was, you know, it was too, too much pietism, too much emotionalism. Well, um, no, I mean, we're made as emotional beings. Uh, Jesus said, uh, you know, I, I'm not calling you servants, I called you friends. Um, I mean, I'm sorry that he does not find any joy in, in, in viewing Jesus as his friend. And, and he even, he even tries to, you know, persuade others from looking at it that way, which I find to be really sad. But um, that's an example of an extreme case of being so anti-emotionalism and, and so fearful. And there are plenty of extremes, and we could talk about many extremes of emotionalism and, and so forth, and, and many, many extremes and that um, really, in, in certain circles, um, that may, maybe talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, but don't have any real biblical grounding and, and have gone off into some of these weird, you know, practices like, like, well, I won't even get into them, but just things that are not at all grounded in scripture. So you've got that on one end, but then I'll never forget, you know, my professor who, um, you know, uh, didn't, didn't want to think about, you know, Jesus as our friend, which I think is sad. That, that's very sad. So, um, Anyway, um, that's a lot of information there, Simon, I guess, but we're talking about a lot of different issues today, and, and uh, so those are just a few more you know, things to throw, throw out there today. Yeah, it sounds like it comes down to that relationship thing. If you're looking at your relationship with God through a relationship perspective as opposed to a corporate perspective, having to check the boxes, do the things, go right, through the rituals and all right. that, yeah. it, changes, it yeah. changes what it means because if you're in a relationship with God, your desire is to want to do it versus have to do it. And that's why I think it comes down then again to the person and the heart. What's their heart saying? What's their heart about? And then that way, well, Son, if I may, if sure, I may sure. interject while you're on that point, uh, you know, um, and I mentioned early in the podcast today that, again, I, so this seems like the perfect time. And, and so thank you. Uh, I, uh, I think about um, how, um, you know, John in his gospel, um, was talking about how, how he and Peter were running to the tomb. And then he refers to himself, though, as the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which is a very interesting phrase in the Bible. You know, um, when, uh, when Martha uh, was talking to Jesus about uh, her brother Lazarus having died, um, she, she referred to him as, you know, the one you love. And, and Jesus had a special relationship with, with the, the siblings, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, um, you know, because of their families uh, being close and everything. And, and so he just had this closeness with Lazarus. But, but John, of all the, you know, inner circle there, the, the, uh, the 12 apostles, I mean, John is referred to as the one whom Jesus loved. Now, Peter, James, and John um, are, are seen as kind of the, the inner circle. So they seem to have maybe a closer relationship with Jesus and even closer friendship uh, than, than some of the other apostles. Uh, now, obviously, Judas didn't have a friendship with Jesus, but he, you know, even some of the other apostles um, didn't seem to maybe be quite as close as 
Peter, James, and 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 then John. But then John is singled out. Uh, and John, of course, in, he, as he tells us in his eyewitness testimony, he, he was there at Christ. Uh, he was there at Christ's crucifixion when um, when when Jesus, uh, you know, asked John to take care of his his mother of, of our Lord's mother. You know, um, you know, be, behold your mother. You know, behold your son. Um, you know, so he he basically gave John that assignment, and so he trusted John. You know, very very much. Um, they had a close relationship. Um, John was the one Jesus loved. Not that he didn't love the others, but it, but it's a reference to the closeness of what you talked about a moment ago, Son, and that's the personal relationship. So uh, to go back to my seminary professor, not to pick on him, but I don't know that he would have even wanted to be one of the Peter, James, or John, you know, the inner circle, um, because um, it, it's like David in the Psalms. You know, if you're going to have a close, close friendship with the Lord, um, there's going to be a lot of interaction with your friend, Jesus, and, and, and always in great, uh, reverence and humility, realizing he is the Lord. He is, he is God, the, the son, uh, and the son of God. And, and we are, um, you know, his children They're always that, but also this, this, um, this intimacy that the Holy spirit gives us, even as it says in the Bible, that God has put a spirit in us that calls out Abba father. And Abba uh, was an Aramaic uh, term that children would use, uh, little children for, for their father. You know, we use the term daddy. So, you know, that, that, that speaks of a closeness. Or, or if you think about an older person, not a child, um, you know, someone like John the Apostle, uh, he can be referred to as the one Jesus loved. So, so yes, uh, knowing the Lord, it, it begins and continues through belief in him. But there is so much more that can go into that relationship. Your, your relationship is established the moment you believe. You are justified. You, you have a relationship. Then you're one of God's you know, uh, children, one of his friends. You're, you're one of his disciples um, when you're converted. But just like in any earthly uh, relationship, Son, um, there's so much, it goes so much deeper. Uh, just as any couple knows uh, who maybe is engaged or maybe they're newly married, and there's so much more that, that will be um, that will take place in their friendship and in their relationship. And, and the same is true with earthly friends. Uh, the same is true with us and the Lord. But it has to begin uh, by seeing Jesus. You know, it was interesting. Mary of Magdalene first didn't recognize the Lord. Um, you know, she uh, she couldn't tell. Uh, you know that it was him at first, and then he said her name, Mary, and then and then she saw him. You know, son, many today. Um, they, like we just came through Easter, um, they heard the name of Jesus being mentioned, but they didn't see him. Um, they, they, they're not recognizing him, even though he, he was right there in front of them, maybe at a Easter, uh, you know, an Easter meal with a family member. And maybe Jesus was being discussed at the meal and, and an unbelieving relative. It's like, you know, they saw him, but they didn't see him. It, it reminds me son, of one of the favorite movies that our family uh, has enjoyed, uh, is the, uh, the movie, uh, the greatest showman. And uh, in that movie uh, about P.T. Barnum, um, there, it's just it's just a great uh, a great message uh, about about what really matters in life. So Hugh Jackman is, is placed a part of uh, P.T. Barnum, and what's so amazing about that son is as the movie begins, um, he has a wonderful marriage. Uh, well, he actually starts in their childhood, and 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 him and his, his uh, later to be bride. Uh, you know, how they kind of fall in love almost as, you know, children, teenagers. And then, and then, and then it, not much time on that, but then they, uh, they're in the, they're married and he has this wonderful marriage and family. These, these two young girls and, and you can tell that she, his wife, she's just content with that, you know, and, and just loving that. Um, and, and yet he, he starts to get this itch to, to be something more. In fact, at one point later in the movie, when he, when he came to her after he'd been through everything, he, he, I love what he said to her. He said, I wanted to be more than I was. I wanted to be more than I was. I wonder how many people, son, have lived their life that way. And we all have, I'm sure, at times, but I wanted to be more than I was. So he lost contentment with his family for a while as he chased after worldly fame, um, worldly success, worldly applause. And if you, if you track, I mean, the lines in that movie are so insightful. I mean, you can watch how he starts to become seduced by the world. Um, you, can, you can watch w w what things are being said. That, that, that pique his curiosity and his interest. And, and, and so his mind kind of starts to drift away from just the priority of his, of his wife and daughters. So anyway, it, it goes on like that, son. But then at the end of the movie, I hate to give this away, but 
um, for anybody who hasn't seen it, but I, 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 I'm going to go ahead and share this quote. It's at the very end of the movie now, and he's been reunited with his wife. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the carnival, the, the big, the big tent, uh, the, the, the building, everything. I mean, they had the fire. I mean, everything is, he's kind of lost it all, but he's, he's come back to his senses, kind of like the prodigal son. And he's standing there, uh, with his wife at the beach and kind of apologizing for things. And then the, 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 the movie ends with them, um, sitting in a, in a, a theater of sorts where his daughter's like having her ballet performance. And it's very peaceful. I mean, unlike the hectic, just craziness of the, of the, of the, the circus and, and, uh, the life of PT Barnum and, and all of that excitement and worldly success and highs and lows and everything. But he's sitting there with his wife in this theater and, and they're just so at peace. And there's this, calm little play production being put on and he, and here here's how it ends um uh, he, he he says he says it's everything you ever want it's everything you ever need right there in front of you um and i tell you what son if that doesn't if that's not a message for this generation today in our world today i don't know what is it's everything you ever want it's everything you ever need it's right there in front of you now the 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 ultimate of that is jesus being right there in front of you i mean we can talk about the important, you know, how that applies very much to marriage and family and how if we start to deprioritize our, our marriage and, and our family, um, things start to go sideways in a hurry. So it, it has great application for, for the family, um, but even more so for spiritual life, uh, because like Mary of Magdala, who, who was looking at Jesus, but she didn't see him. Um, Jesus is in front of everyone today here, son, at least everybody who's hearing the gospel, certainly everybody who's hearing this podcast. And I would say, my friend to you, it's, you know, Jesus is everything you ever want. He's everything you ever need. He's right here in front of you. And, and if you will look away from the, you know, the things of the world that appeal to the flesh, if you look away from the worldly spirit of the, the message that, you know, that, that like Warnock was presenting or, or these prosperity, um, these prosperity preachers are, are, are putting out there stirring up, uh, you know, uh, lust for riches and so forth. Um, if you'll look to Christ alone, you will find peace like you've never known, and you'll find eternal salvation. So um, that's, uh, I mean, I would highly recommend that movie to anybody, The Greatest Showman. Um, at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's not about our accomplishments. Um, and as Christians, it's always about the Lord. And, and so with John, we can say he must become greater. You know, I must become less. Um, and, uh, and when we do that, son, we, we find that, uh, there's just so much peace in it. There's so much power in it and there's no better way to live, uh, because that's what we were put on earth to do. You know, Dan, my final thought, thinking back to the disciples and I guess maybe the varying degrees of closeness they had with Jesus, I would imagine yes. Jesus didn't distance himself from those other disciples to me yes, it seems that it, it was like the disciples desire to be with jesus led for the inner three point, you know peter james Great and john point. probably had the desire to be with him more than maybe Amen. perhaps the others and we can use Amen. that as an example to how do we want our relationship to be with jesus that's right do we want to you be, be like an inner three? jesus yeah. as you want to be that's right. Or do we want to be more now? Don't be Judas. <laughs> that's problematic. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But right, from the that's other, right, that's right. you know, the other eight, you know, how close do you want to be? Do you want to be the inner three, and and he could have, you know, Jesus will invite everybody to the inner three, the inner sanctum, the yeah, circle yeah, yeah. of trust. You know, if you're talking movies, um, yeah. But um, but you know, so it's just for me. That's the example that I would take from that analogy. Oh, is I, that, I think that's I think that's that's awesome, son. And it's kind of like with a worship service. Those elements that are most important to you and your devotion to the Lord and your expression of it, um, go with those. Go with the ones that mean the most to you. And, and if certain ones don't mean the most to you yet, well, then just, you know, pray about it and, and search the scriptures and, and see if maybe you can gain an appreciation for things that others maybe uh, are, are valuing even more. The way Peter, James, and John were valuing that intimacy with the Lord, I think you put that very well, Son, and, and, I, I, and I think you put that exactly where it needs to be. Um, it's on us. It's on us in terms of how close we're going to choose to be, especially now as believers, uh, how close we're going to choose to be with the Lord. Um, you know, he's available 24-7. You know, the Lord never said, well, I'm talking to, you know, millions of, m millions of people, and so I'll give you, you know, uh, this little 30-minute window during the day, and if you're free during that time, maybe send up a prayer. I mean, how amazing that the Lord of the universe is available and, and desiring to talk to us 24-7. So we have no excuse. You know, we have no excuse if that's not very important to us, you know, other than to just 
you know, ask the Lord for more power for prayer, more power for fellowship, um, and just to dig into the Word. I mean, you know, we're not going to love the Lord, Son, without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to love Jesus without the Holy Spirit. So the, the more the Holy Spirit is filling us, the more we're going to love Jesus. So, so there are steps we can take to increase our love and, and prayer and, and worship and obedience and, and all these things, you know. And then when we do mess up, not to get overwhelmed by that, you know, as we're, te- as we're tempted to do, well, you know, if I was a good disciple, I'd have never done the hate. You know, it's done. It's past. The Lord's moving on. It's time for you to move on. You give it to the Lord. You know, pride is either, um, you know, thinking how great I am or pride is focusing on my, my faults. You know, they're so terrible. How could I have ever done that? But wait a minute. You know, in your flesh, you could you could really fall from the Lord. You know, uh, uh, you could fall a long way from him, you know, in terms of your interests and so forth, just in your flesh. So, um, no, that's a great point, Son. I think what a, what a way to kind of, you know, wrap up a lot of what we've been talking about today. Yeah, Dan, we, uh, as always, appreciate your time, appreciate your thoughts and your comments on things and being able to uh, hear your perspective on things. Uh, this is Sanctified Reason. I'm Son Edom, Dan Delzell, pastor at Redeemer Church in Papillion, Nebraska. Dan, quickly, if someone wants to maybe uh, get a hold of you, questions, you know, cons- sure. uh, maybe even concerns, I don't know, uh, just want to reach sure. out to you for more uh, on yeah. on the matter, where can they find you? Uh, anyone could email me at Dan Delzell, D-A-N-D-E-L-Z-E-L-L at Cox.net. And I, yeah, I'd be happy to respond to anybody who might like to do that. You can find me on Instagram at Edom Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S. You can DM me there. Send me a message. Let me know what you think. If you have any questions, comments, uh, things like that. Uh, and, um, just hit us up. Let us know what you think. Dan, thanks so much. We appreciate it. We look forward to, uh, further conversations as we go through the weeks, God willing. And, um, again, just thanks so much for your time. Oh, thank you, son. It was a, a great joy today. I look forward to uh, our next visit. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.